What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the In The Round podcast. Got your boy, Matt Burrill, hanging out with you. And uh, today, we have got our buddy, Mr. Colin Nash, on the podcast for today's episode. And uh, we're, this is a fun one. Really, really fun one. Really enjoy getting to know Colin and all that he does here in Nashville, Tennessee. Got to tell you real quick about our sponsors, Whale Tail Media Co., Wales and Gracie and Beezy and the whole crew over there. They've got you covered uh, for content here in Nashville, Tennessee, brand marketing, any of that good stuff. And they even have a separate section called Whale Tail Weddings. If you're getting hitched, definitely hit them up. Check them out, Whale Tail Media Co. Next, we got Saxman Studios, Grady and Saul and Grant and Will and Tim and the whole crew over there. A lot of our friends have recorded stuff over there. A lot of big songs that y'all might know and, uh, some artists that you might not know yet uh, that you will know after they've recorded over at the Saxman Studios. Um, hit up Grady and uh, get on their schedule if you're looking to record something here in town. They've got a brand new studio and uh, we're very happy to have them as supporters here of the In The Round podcast. And last but certainly not least, our friends in the green world. We definitely enjoyed them on today's episode. Uh, our boys at Trailside CBD Emporium. They've got some new products out. They've got this tasty peanut butter that is Delta 8. They've got all kinds of new products. Uh, they even got shit for your dogs. CBD, Delta 8 THC. And you can get a deal. Our listeners here get a deal using promo code ITR. You get 20% off your order when you use the promo code ITR. So hop on there. Get you some of that tasty Delta 8 THC and some of that good old CBD from our friends at Trailside. Now let's get into our conversation with Mr. Colin Nash here on the In The Round podcast. What's going on, man? Happy, happy for you. I'm doing good, man. How the hell are you doing? I'm good, man. I'm Feeling what you just gave me. <laughs> the good Delta 8, you know, that yes, sir. Trailside CBD Emporium. Make sure you guys hit them up. 20% off your uh, favorite Delta 8 CBD products. Um, Trailside CBD code ITR. Uh, but, dude, uh, fucking uh, good to have you here, man. And uh, you're a guy that I've run into a lot the last year, I yeah. would say. Because I bumped into you. I think you did you play one of our early rounds, like way back? I did really early on. Uh, probably it would have been like late last year, correct? Or yeah. like maybe even. I think even I think even pre COVID. Yeah, it was pre COVID. Um, and then through COVID, I didn't really play, but I kind of went home for I think four months of that before I came back here. Yeah, and then we had you back again because mm-hmm. that was when I really started hanging with the crew and we're. Um, Call them the uh, the Fam Jam crew. Fam Jam, That's kind of yeah. what I've been calling it, you know, or what what I've been told it's called. But, um, dude, yeah, you've been you've been out there crushing it. The whole team seems to be winning. Like of all you guys as all you guys as as friends, and like we were just talking about outside. Like you're the kind of like you do the artist thing. You've been in you've been in bands. You you write, and you're a player. Yes, like you do kind of a little bit of everything, man. So. Well, I mean, you got it all going on right now as far as on all fronts, you know? Yeah, I'm extremely busy. Like, I think uh, I counted up a couple of weeks ago. I had a night off, and that was the first night off I'd had in, I think, three and a half weeks. There was, like, either a practice, a round, 
or write something every single day for three and a half weeks. And I'm glad that I enjoy it as much as I do because I don't think if I enjoyed it as much, I'd get burnt out pretty easy. But it's easy to keep up with that schedule when you love it so much. Yeah, now, how long have you been doing that schedule? Like, because when did you move here? Well, I moved here. It'll be six years in October. Oh, fuck yeah. See, October's three years for me, so I'm a little behind you, but Very that's nice. dope. Well, you're kind of right in that window. Um, I, I feel like town has really changed in the last two years. Um, it's been like an ongoing thing for probably the last decade, but it's really ramped up in the last couple years. Um do you feel like town has changed a lot since you Dude, got here? yeah, the skyline looks different. Yeah. I haven't even been here 3 years and the skyline looks different. Like that doesn't happen in cities around the country. Like it happens in certain places, but just the boom. So where'd you where were you living when you first moved here? So uh, my uncle lived in Mount Juliet and I moved in with him right after high school. And so I really didn't get the full like Nashville experience. Until I moved out of there and turned 21 and kind of got my own place and was able to go to bars and stuff. But up until then, um, I was writing with a bunch of older guys and kind of sitting around the house going to work. Damn. So I, that kind of explains your like your style, though. Yeah. Like you like you're definitely like you enjoy the vintage shit. I do. Like you're a big fan of, of the classic, the, that true grit. I love style. things that are broken, you know. Um, I think that classic, a lot of times, is just simple. And uh, right now, time is just, like, crazy. So I think, naturally, like, I'm just grasping for simple things, if that makes sense. Yeah, dude, but it reflects in your music, and the music's badass. Yeah. It's, like, it's cool. Yeah, and, and you know, um, like, it, that seems to be, like, the theme with the whole crew is just, like, getting back to the basics of songwriting. And I think everybody's kind of done that in their own way. And it's developed like, Hey, you know, like these songs are starting to have some depth again, you know, like, um, and it's, it's not just our group. I think that a lot of top 40 is getting a lot better too. It's changed. It's become more about the, the song as opposed to the production. Yeah. And that's the way it should be. Like Nashville's always been the songwriters town. You know, even back in the 60s, it's like all the songwriters lived here. The stars lived out in Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. So this was where the music would be created and the folks that would be a part of it, I guess, like the face of it, what people actually knew, like all the behind the scenes shit's been going on here forever. So you say your uncle was in Mount Juliet. So music in the family, huh? Yeah. So he was a songwriter. He's uh, he had a Cody Johnson cut uh, a couple years back. So he had a little success. Um, he's still doing it. Uh, but yeah, my whole family is musically inclined. Uh, both of my grandparents, both sets on either side, they both play and sing. Um, the greats too. So it, it's kind of way deep in the bloodline. So when did you start? Like when did, when did it, when was it? Hey, I'm, I'm Colin. I want to do music. Uh, so fourth grade, I was an honors choir and I had a singing solo um, at the Christmas pageant or whatever. And I sang and people really liked it and it got like a big applause and that like instant thing. I was like, wow, that feels really good. I want to do that. I felt good at it. And so kind of since that moment, I've been 
had my head down pursuing it. Hell yeah. That's awesome, man. Yeah. So it's pretty much been like most of your life. Yeah, I've never really thought about doing anything different. There was a time when I was playing a lot of baseball where I thought I might go to college and play ball. And uh, I had the opportunity to do that and ended up turning it down to move here. Yeah, are, you, you, are you a big baseball guy? Yeah, so, I am. Go Cardinals, I'm guessing? Yes, go right, Cardinals. Well, well, hey, I'm a Yankees fan. You're welcome. We, we got Rizzo. Yes, so I'm I, very happy for you guys. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm freaking – I'm stoked about that because, I mean, you, be, you being a Cardinals fan, you get it. Like, there's, there's winning connected in both of our franchises. Yeah, like, the two most winningest franchises – and then it'll be history. Yeah, and it's like the expectations are so high. Like, so do you get like into it? Are you like, how, like, were you going to games as a kid? Or, like, yeah, you, when you, I was. Could you a tell kid, me the rotation right now? Like, are yeah. you in it? So, um, first game, June seventeenth, two thousand and three, um, Cardinals Reds. Uh, I was really excited to go to that game because I'd been watching on TV with my dad, and Ken Griffey Jr. was like the only baseball player I knew that wasn't on the Cardinals. And so he was coming to town. He's playing with the Reds at the time. Um, and, yeah, from that moment on, I remember just going to Bush Stadium and having that, you know, all-American kid going to his first major league game experience. And so I was ate up with it, you know. Up until, like, I've kind of drifted away the last couple of years because I've had my head down doing all this. And – it's hard to afford cable to watch games yeah. when you're a songwriter. Yeah, I have the um, MLB.TV thing, but I only I pay the bare minimum because I only get the Yankee games. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, like I had a I had a buddy in high school who was a big Yankees fan, um, Andy Satula. Um, he was also a great running back, but um, we always had a lot in common because of the whole Yankees Cardinals thing. And I, I've always thought it was kind of dumb to be mad at people for liking something that's successful, you know? So, you know, Yankees fans get a lot of trash talk from everybody in the league because it's so easy to be a Yankees fan. Yeah, but then but then you look at who's got the next most championships, and it's you guys down there in St. Louis. Yeah. Now, I think that we're behind, like, what, 18? <laughs> it might be. I forget. It's around there. And the Red Sox, unfortunately, are like have gotten a lot closer. Yeah. The Giants have won quite a few. I mean, they had that thing where they were winning every two years or mm-hmm. whatever back, like, 10 years ago. Yeah, we got knocked out of a lot of playoff games because of the Giants. Yeah. <laughs> Who's your favorite player growing up? Pujols. Yeah. Pujols was my guy. But I also loved Jim Edmonds and Scott Rowland. Um, I was a third baseman for the first two years of my high school career. And so, like, I would always watch videos of Scott Rowland to kind of understand how to handle the hot yeah. corner. Um, and let's see, who else? Um, David Eckstein. Yeah, dude. I remember him because I didn't he play for the Angels for a little bit too? He did, yeah. I, I believe it was the uh, Angels. I, I can't remember if he was with the Angels and then went to St. Louis or was in St. Louis and then went to yeah, Anaheim. because Jim Edmonds bounced back and forth too. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I think that – where did Jim go? Wasn't he in L.A. too? Uh, he was for a brief period. He played for a number of teams. I think he played for the Brewers for a little oh, bit. Oh, jeez, damn. He was kind of one of those guys that yeah. kind of bounced around year to year. Yeah. No, dude, that's that's awesome. What do you think of Nashville hopefully getting a team? 
I hope it happens. I don't see myself becoming like a fan of them over the Cardinals. What if they're in the American League? I could I could do that if they're in the American League, but if it ever came down to like a World Series, like you know, I don't care. That's that's how it's I feel. Always the Cardinals. That's how I feel as a Yankees fan too. Yeah. So I'm I'm uh, right there with you, man. So Missouri, what's what's growing up Missouri like? Like how would you how would you describe Missouri? I've been through it and I've I've done some shows out there. Yeah, it, it's cool. It is. Um, I don't think I have the popular opinion when I say like I loved growing up in Missouri because I loved hunting and fishing and um, you know the the family thing in Missouri, the culture around it. It's very like. Missouri's pretty much like Appalachia, you know, it's, it's kind of like that whole world where like family's number one, a lot of small tight knit communities, um, where I grew up in Missouri is kind of the beginning of the real Ozarks. So like if you read about what the Ozarks are and, um, a geography book, um, that's what they're describing. Not necessarily like the Lake of the Ozarks. That's a little bit North of the action. I I do love the Lake of the Ozarks, but it's not quite the, you know, the mountains or whatever. Uh, So where I grew up is like right on the edge of that. Um, It's the headwaters of the current river. So I grew up trout fishing, deer hunting. I loved it. Hell yeah, dude. That's awesome. That's really, that's really cool. This Delta 8 is feeling good today. Yes, it is. It is Delta Delta 8 is feeling good. So let's talk about the... um, Let's talk about the uh, the fam the uh, the fam jam, that 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 whole crew. Yeah. How'd you how like yourself, Nate, uh, Ben and Meg, Tyler, um, Vinny, Harper. Like the list goes. Gabe. The list goes on and yeah. on and on. How did how do you guys all get together and become friends? Like how did you get involved in all that stuff? So the way that I came became involved with it was um, I started working at uh, Bellmead Country Club, and I believe. 2018 like August of 2018 and Vinny was working there and I met him and we just started talking music over the my first few days there and I realized that like oh we both love the Eagles and Tom Petty and Jackson Brown and at the time I didn't know a lot of people that liked that kind of music um I only at the time it was still kind of dominated by like you either wanted to be Waylon Jennings or you wanted to be Florida Georgia line and there wasn't like a lot of middle ground to that um and so Vinny kind of shortly there after I started working started booking for revival and he's like if you want to you know come play revival sometime and I hadn't played it yet at that point and so I think the first night that I played um it was like I think Vinny played um and maybe Harper um and so I started going every week and I met Ben the very first night that he came to Nashville no shit yes and uh, I could tell you he looked like he was 12 years old I tell people all the time like when we call him baby Ben like we mean like baby Ben like he looked like he was not old enough to be in that bar <laughs> Um, so I met, met him and yeah, it just kind of all circled around revival. Um, and everybody was doing something different. 
I think we all have this similar thing where for so long we couldn't get spit at in town, you know? Yeah. It was a town that was dominated by the, uh, what we know is like the top 40 country sound and none of us kind of fit that role, fit that sound. So I think that that kind of bonded us all together. Hell yeah. No, that that's cool, man. And it's, if it weren't for like a thing like revival, I don't think I'd be doing what, what I'm doing with, with how we have the round and stuff, you know? Um, there's something about live music on the Mumbrian that's that's really, really cool. And uh you guys are kind of that next class of like that's come through that that uh that program and stuff. Yeah, um it's cool looking back at some of the people that came through in like the early classes of revival. Cause you know, you got Luke combs you've got like eric dylan um adam hood brent cobb and it's just it's crazy to even think about that you might be associated with those kind of people because i've been yeah because it's a family like they those guys will still come out and every so often play and even if not they'll just come out and watch and those are top not those are songwriters that very much are in a similar kind of vein to what you guys are doing yeah i i remember that first Brent Cobb record um, that Dave Cobb produced. I remember riding on the mower back in Salem, Missouri, listening to that. And then, you know, a couple weeks ago, watching him at Revival, it's, you know, Revival's provided a lot of full circle moments that are very cool. So I enjoy spending time around it, being involved in it. Yeah, that's freaking, that. that's awesome, man. Love to, love to hear that. We love what what Vinny and, and Rob and the, and the whole crew over there, what what those guys do. So, yeah. It's badass, man. So let's talk about, so when you were first getting started in the music thing, so you do you do a little bit of everything. Do you do production stuff too? Yeah, I've got a, uh, I got a big interest in producing, and I think I, that's where I want to end up at some point, but that's hopefully a long time from now. I'm still okay. got to learn about it a little bit more. Okay, but you're literally doing everything else yeah so when you were when you were growing up was the producer way that you was that the way you've always wanted to go or were you like i want to be the guy in the stage singing no i want to be the guy shredding on guitar right there like what what was your initial goal and how'd you kind of get into each Uh, i think initially i wanted to perform because like i said like that fourth grade situation is what really amped it up and made me want to go for it but even before that, like I was singing in church, doing stuff with my family, uh, so I've, I kind of always wanted to perform. And then when I got into about fifth and sixth grade, I started playing guitar, and I wanted to shred. You know, I wanted to be like Jimmy Page and Mike Campbell. Um, and from there, then you, you know, start writing songs, and then it's like each phase you go through, you want to be kind of whoever you consider the master whatever you're doing is um and i think it's kind of got me to a point now where um i think ultimately i want to be an artist but then have the experience to go do other things when the artist thing eventually ends you know just something to be constantly involved in music i I think it i think it makes you just better all around too when you kind of have a knowledge of a little bit of everything that's going on yeah like that adds a whole nother aspect to when you're thinking and you're you're creating us in the writing process or you're in the studio like knowing putting you being able to put yourself in those shoes Mm -hmm. that's huge yeah and i 
I'm kind of a nerd about it, so I'll watch, you know, YouTube video after YouTube video of just how, like, one part of one song of this record was made um, on the production side of things and what amps they were using. And I'm just kind of obsessed with that sort of thing. Everything entailing music, I'm just, it's it's kind of my muse and my obsession. Yeah. Dude, that, that's like, they talk about people like we were just talking about, they talk about like ball players, student of the game. It's, yeah. They, this isn't necessarily a game, but like you're a student of music shit. Like, yeah. And it's I, pretty sick. I don't think you ever stop being a student of it. You know, I think everybody learns something from everybody. It keeps the passion point. going, man. Yeah. Which that's how I feel with like, I was very into that with all the radio stuff I used to do, you know, like mm-hmm. I was very proud of that and like would know they're doing this or this should be here or that, that like, like just knowing the little things. So with like your experience in radio, what did that experience like provide you appreciation wise for music that you really didn't have before it? So for me, um, I originally went to college wanting to do, I always wanted to be in media, but I wanted to be on like ESPN. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be freaking um, Reese Davis or like one of those guys on like ESPN doing that or doing like the writing stuff. And um, I got into college, when I went into college radio, um, I had started, like growing up, I'd always kind of listen to country and listen to a lot of rock and all that stuff. Yeah. And, um, I got involved at the radio station and I got asked like by somebody that was there if I wanted to be a part of the country show. Mm-hmm. And that was my first time working in music radio. And I just fell in love with it. Like from hanging with the artists to going to the shows and seeing the communities around the, around the genre, just the, the passion that people have for it. And it's cool. Then you go into songwriting. Like I've learned so much since I've been down here, of all the different shit that goes on with it. But that was probably when I made that switch was, start doing that college radio show. Gotcha. So that's like 2013 maybe. Yeah. So one of the things I love about country is like how friendly the genre is. Yeah. Um, it, it doesn't seem like, you know, you have, you know, bad apples in every batch. There's, there's guys that can be a dick every once in a while, but for the most part, country guys are very kind to each other. Um, country artists in general, um, and I love that, like, the songwriters are held with the same amount of respect that artists are a lot of times. Even, like, producers or just, like, session guitar players. There's such an appreciation in that world and circle. And um, it's cool to be involved in a world that's like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, it's 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 really cool. So you lived in Missouri. So when did you make the move? What was When was your first trip out here? And you're how old, by the way? You're what? 20? 24. Okay, so you'll be, damn, you're 24. Shit, yeah, I'm, yeah, I was going to say, I'm 26. Um, I'm usually I'm usually the youngin, but you guys with your whole crew, like, a lot of you guys are youngins. Yeah, so, like, to talk about first trip out here, uh, that would have to be, I think it was 2013. Uh, I just got my license, like, maybe three or four months before, and me and my cousin drove out here from Missouri for a CMA Fest. And so we kind of like did that whole thing. And um, I remember seeing the Cadillac 3, I think like at the Riverfront stage. And I was blown away by them. And that was kind of the thing that was like, okay, like I'm going to move to Nashville. Because if I can rock out like that and it can kind of belong somewhere in the country genre, that's what I'm going to do. So 
kind of decided then and got through two more years of high school and moved here. Hell yeah. That's awesome, man. Um, so, yeah, who was on that CMA? So Cadillac 3 was on that one? Who else did you see? Oh, gosh. Which, by the way, Cadillac 3, they were one of my early kind of shows when I was getting started with the radio stuff. I saw them up at a festival, and I was just like, holy, the amount of noise coming out of these three dudes. Yeah, it's amazing. Just impressed. Like, like, it's really cool to see that, especially in country. Yeah, it re- the first thing it reminded me of was, like, ZZ Top, and I love that. You know, God rest Dusty. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I loved them. Let's see. A thousand horses was there. Really this liked them. This ain't no, what was it? This ain't no drunk dial. Was that them? Yeah. This ain't no drunk dial. And then dial. smoke was the other big one. They had a song. Um, I think it was called landslide, um, or something like that, but it was heavy and I loved it. I loved everything that was coming out of that time. That was, you know, very rock influenced. Um, I've always thought that Jason Aldean was the dude that kind of started that. Yeah. In top 40 with like, she's country. I remember hearing that at, you know, 11 or 12 and just being blown away by yeah, it. Dun, 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 like that lick. Like that, like that's, that's heavy riffing. Like that's, that's very rock influenced. That's awesome. And I've talked to a couple of writers that were writing in town at that time, and they talk about, like, when that song came out, every demo in town turned into an SG through a Marshall, you know, that classic rock sound playing a drop D. Um, it's it's cool to watch town kind of drift through its phases. Yeah, is there any, like, advice if you were looking back, like, say, this is my weird dad a little bit since we're on the Delta 8, but if you could, like pop up and see your old self what would you what would you tell a young colin nash over 21 like like older because actually no 18 so yeah yeah because there was those early years were pretty formative and cool i would i would say it's so important to be patient and not rush to put things out because early on you're gonna put something out that you think is really good and it's not and you'll get six months away from it and hate it. And I've done that, you know, over the course of my five years in town, eight years total doing this whole artist thing kind of on and off. Um, I would say, like, my advice would be to just be patient, you know. Wait till it all comes together. It all comes together in its own way, and you don't ever really have to force the issue. You know what I mean? When the time's right. The teams usually, it's already put together because they're. It's usually your friends, and they get what you sound like. You know what your sound is like because you've had time to hone it. Yeah. So patience. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of sound, how would you describe your your sound right now? If somebody were to ask you what what is, but I mean, obviously you are Colin Nash. So if someone asked you what does Colin Nash sound like, you'd be like, oh, here's my guitar, and you you'd show them. Yeah. But how would you describe it to someone? I think it's very country right now. Um, this most recent project, Saving It for a Rainy Day, is by far the most country thing I've ever put out. Um, why, why do you think that is? Like, why why the country? Why why now? Because you've had different sounds over the years. Um, I'll tell you what. I think it started probably about the time that we started doing this thing, where I became comfortable with not chasing something. 
because I think for a long time I was chasing different things, different sounds, um, trying to replicate. And any time that you try to replicate something, or it's never going to work. Um, the more comfortable you can be with being yourself, the better the product's going to be. So I think since getting this kind of friend circle around me that I have now, it's allowed me to be more comfortable, be myself, and that's just put me into country music, like traditional country music. I know that country is such a broad yeah, thing yeah. now. Do you can do you consider it on the on the Americana line? I do. I think Americana is interesting. And, and where is that line drawn? Because it's so interesting. Because like, like where do you put a guy like Tyler Childers? I think that Tyler makes country music. You know, yeah, that's that's what I say too. But a lot of people would be saying like, I'm more the Americana. Yeah, um, I think that Americana, which, which, which I love both. By the way, I think both are oh, yeah. super cool. Yeah, Americana, it, it, it seems like, is kind of... Everybody talks about country being very broad. I think that Americana might even be more broad than that because, like, I was listening through a, a Spotify playlist the other day that was Americana, and you had, like, Lake Street Dive next to Jason Isbell. And it's like, those are so far apart. <coughs> um, but I, I would say, for me... It's probably closer to what people consider Americana now than I think it's a lot closer to that world than it is, say, your Cole Swindells and Thomas Rhett's. I think yeah. I'm a, closer in the other direction. Yeah. Yeah, which that which there's a huge, um, huge market with that now, too, especially because like I we were talking about radio before, but like radio isn't the only way people consume their music now. Yeah. And like the the. I don't want to say niche, but like the the subgenres within it, like every every across all kinds of music are doing better now because people can actually find your stuff around the world. Yeah, man, the the roots of country <laughs> music are really starting to spread out now, and uh, you know, like the whole streaming thing, I'm still trying to figure out how to grasp that as far as. How do you make, like, what do you make that's cohesive with that thing? Is it is it going to be just single after single? Are we getting further away from the album, the idea of an album? I don't know still. See, that to me kind of scares me because I like when things are released in a project and, like, you can listen through and there's something about having a record. As yeah. A, which I love singles, too. Singles can be great. But. Yeah. Well, I can, you know, like on a personal standpoint, I can definitively say like I'm always going to make records. I'm always going to try to release music in batches of songs because I've always been a fan of that whole, you know, planning out a record. Um, it's like a storyline almost from start to finish. You know, I, I love Tom Petty records. I love the Eagles and all of those records would... Um, you know, they have ebbs and flows. And if you're just doing it a song at a time, I don't know if you can get kind of the full grasp of what the artist is trying to do. Um, you know, like John Mayer, probably like three or four years ago during the Search for Everything era, that album, he would release like four songs at a time, three times until it made a full record. And I thought that that was a cool approach to it. But I'm I'm definitely pro that and not so much the single thing, even if it works as a which, which I think is why we see so many EPs nowadays. Yeah, e EPs are a, everybody's got an EP. 
Yeah, and it's so funny because EP was the thing that was supposed to come out after the record. It was the extended play. Really? I yeah. didn't know that's what it stood for. Mm-hmm. The extended play. So, like, if the Beach Boys put out a record and it was doing great, they would put out the EP afterwards. And, and it was, like and it was, tracks. and it, yeah, it was the songs that they cut but didn't make the record, which is a great use for the songs that don't wouldn't make the record yeah but you're seeing that happen in country quite a bit now too yeah you, you get get the deluxe edition a lot um or like the target edition yeah dude i so you're 20 you said you're 24 24 yeah so do you remember going to like blockbuster do you remember like this did you did you grow up like because i'm 26 so you're 97 96 96 oh shit so you're when yeah. when's your birthday? August twenty first. Oh, so it's coming right up. Okay, cool. Yeah, um, here in just a few weeks. Or... Sweet. So yeah, so like you 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 definitely grew up like the same era that I did. I'm yeah, five. I I definitely got a big dose of the nineties and like all of that early two thousands uh, stuff. Um, no, I didn't go to Blockbuster a lot. We had what was called um, Family Video, and we had that in Salem. My uh, my cousins actually owned it, so I would go there and rent the VHSs. And Salem's kind of in an area of the country where it takes culture a long time to penetrate the middle of the country. So the '90s lasted until 2005 in Missouri, Whoa. pretty much. You know, <laughs> so like we were still using mostly VHS, like all the way up until I was probably 12 or 13. Do you, do you miss CDs and cassettes? Not CDs. I've always kind of felt like CDs didn't sound very good. I I like cassettes. Um, I'm still kind of like in that playlist generation too. So I'm most used to consuming music uh, through like YouTube or streaming. Back then it was YouTube. Were you LimeWire, FrostWire? LimeWire. LimeWire. Yeah, my, so my Aunt Trisha lived with us for a while when I was growing up, and she downloaded LimeWire on my parents' computer, right. and we crashed it within like two months. Ch- changed your life. But yeah, it did. Um, what were some of those first things you were downloading? What was, what was that young Colin listening to? So that's a lot of... Like Green Day, yeah. Um, that was kind of like right when my parents split up, and so like interestingly enough, I wasn't allowed to listen to secular music until I was. Oh yeah, you were a church kid. Yeah, hardcore oh, wow. church kid. So I was probably twelve or thirteen. Bible Belt, baby. Yeah, right, right there on the buckle, man. <laughs> um, so that at that point was when I started first listening to secular music. So I went as far as I could, which in my head was Metallica. Bro. So I was burned through those first four Metallica records, driving yeah. my parents crazy. I'm trying to think. So the first four would be Kill 'em All. Kill 'em all, ride the, the lightning, lightning, Master of Puppets, Justice. So you didn't like the so the black album they lost you on? No, I love the black album. In fact, like I would say, and this is a very unpopular opinion, but S and M Metallica with the symphony is one of my favorite things they've ever done. See, I have friends that like will be on a drive. Like my buddy Big Bob, who I used to do radio with. Big Bob, he was a he was a um, a saxophone or like a trumpet or some kind of like player. So he listened to a lot of ska and he fucking loved the Metallica um, S and M thing. And we used to listen to it all the time. It, for me, it just doesn't do it. I just like the the heavy shit. Maybe it's because I'm not a music. I'm not a musical guy though. You know? Do you think? 
that liking S&M Metallica is just as indicative of a personality as liking Ska is? And do you think that there's some kind of connection there on that guy? Maybe. Maybe. I mean, they all have they all have the like it's it's because it has that extra stuff to it. So like yeah. Ska's like the punk with the horns. The S and M is the is the rock with the orchestra. It's those extra factors being yeah. put in. I, I've never like been. I've never been a ska guy. Really? Yeah. Never. It's never. See, for me, it was like growing up in Jersey. Like I've been to a couple couple ska shows. I wouldn't say I'm an avid fan by any means, but like I'll throw it on every now and then. But it's like a very much like a like a shore. Yeah. Like Cali. Florida, Jersey. And I want to think that there wasn't a lot of that going on in Missouri, but I knew guys who liked ska bands. Um, Some of the guys that when I was first learning how to play guitar that were teenagers that I was trying to learn from, they were into some ska bands, and I couldn't name a single one to you. Um, And there wasn't a lot of my friends that liked that either. Uh, I would say, you know, Back there, it's like it's all country, you know, a little bit of rock and roll mixed so, in. So, so for you listening to listening to Green Day and Metallica, was that like were a lot of your friends getting down with that too, or? Yeah, a little bit. I was a little late to the party because of the whole secular music thing. Yeah. So, my first experience with Green Day was 2006. Kids' Choice Awards on Nickelodeon. Wasn't allowed to listen to secular music, but was allowed to watch cartoons and stuff. So I'm watching the Kids' Choice Awards, and here's Green Day. And I remember early on the show them winning an award and being like, those are the scariest guys I've ever seen in my life. Billy Joe Armstrong is terrifying. Pale ass with the black, probably the red tie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just look like a ghost. Especially on those old, like... uh, you know those little box TVs that yeah. you used to have, yeah. The poorest quality. Poorest quality. Just looked like a ghost up there. And then they played on the show, and I was just like blown away. So then, from then on, I was watching YouTube videos and listening to the music, and I was trying to convince my parents to buy me a Green Day CD. And then my dad read the lyrics to American Idiot, and was like, <laughs> "You're not getting a Green Day CD." <laughs> I was like, this is George Bush's America. Oh, man, yeah. You got you got into it, man. I did. Um, it's amazing how politics files um, affects in the music, too. This was one of my... Um, so when I was in college, like, I don't drink anymore, as you know. Like, um, I had a drinking problem, and mostly it was in college. And yeah. when it was kind of towards, like, one of, one of the peaks was um, I had this class called Theories of Persuasion, and mm-hmm. I wrote a paper about persuasion with music and, like, politics and shit. I was I was definitely I was boozing a lot, so yeah. I was not in a clear mind writing it. I ended up with like a ninety something, you know. I mean, it sounds like, it's a, like a real thing, like the music, like how political how political movements can be driven through music. Absolutely. Which either side you agree with, you know, it doesn't matter what side. It's just the fact that music can convey a message that affects everybody. Like that's yeah. pretty cool. I think you know, at least in the most recent history, I think rock and roll is always kind of catered to the left, you know, and been very influential and in like changing people's minds on that sort of thing. Well, so I definitely agree with it's that. It's a big, it's a big thing. social, social, uh, social, social justice. Uh, that's, that's like what they promote within that. And you see it within rap and hip hop. And then you see it with country, like the patriotic movement, you know, yeah. cause you, you look at the, at those times you had, 
you had like Toby Keith doing his thing. Alan Jackson. Alan Jackson doing his thing. Daryl Worley. Like people like that. Aaron that, Tippin. Yeah, Aaron, t- Aaron fucking Tippin. Toolbox. Yeah. He's the man. man, that mustache. Um, so you've got guys that are in that vein, and then you've got other acts that, that had different opinions and stuff like that. Yeah. And so like country had 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 both sides to it, you know? But it was it was interesting looking into it, like just how different movements and like different persuasion, how people's opinions change, and makes if music has the power to just make you feel a certain type of way. Yeah, no matter what it is. I think uh, people are really looking at artists, um, especially back then, and we're maybe taking on some of those beliefs and stuff that the artists had. Maybe not because they really believed it, but because the artist believed it. And they believe so much in the artist. Like, okay, if the artist feels this way, I'll feel this way. That's still true today. I think that um, artists have a lot of influence. And, you know, I think it's always going to be a case of you have to be responsible with your influence. You know, you have to be smart. You know, you can't be excluded from it there's guys that want to be and they get themselves in trouble and then don't understand why that they're getting in trouble but i think as long as you hold any kind of influence people are going to look to you for answers yeah and i I think that's lessened a little bit since um with social media because i feel like back in the day and it's i'm you're a sports guy did you watch the uh, the michael jordan documentary oh yeah see to me they couldn't release something about something like that about lebron not because of jordan being better or any of that stuff but because we know so much of lebron's story because it's we see what lebron's doing every day on social media michael jordan it was like a big deal if you saw michael jordan out like that was a big deal you see freaking um like even a like fucking big baseball player or whoever um same kind of thing and yeah. um and stuff but nowadays we know what these folks are doing all the time like it's not as much of a rare occurrence i think that's a great theory and i completely agree with you cuz everything that we're doing now at this scale at this point in time is so disposable you know we have like an instagram post every single day like like you said we know what LeBron's eating for breakfast. And they wonder why mental illness is going through the roof. Like why people are getting like, like, oh, yeah. the, like because you get anxious and people, some people, they, they do better mentally when they don't know. Like we're just on such an overload. Yeah. The the internet is like the number one cause for personality disorder at this point. Dude, I think. It's gotta be. And, I, and I, it doesn't surprise me if there's a large part of the population that is messed up because of it. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I think that even I can look at myself and see there's a problem here, you know. Um, I think we all have that thing with Instagram or Facebook where you need it to hit that certain number for you to feel good about Bro, it. Bro, the validation. Yeah, that instant va- the instant gratification validation thing. Um, our brains were never designed to work with that sort of thing. So now that we have it, like you said, like I think there's a lot more mental illness, and I don't know what the answer is. Like, yeah, do we, what do we? Yeah, what do, what do we do? Like, well, I don't think there's anything we can do. I I think it's gonna get to a point where people might get sick of it. You know, you're already starting to see like young people are recognizing that this is a problem, um, and I think that's 
kind of the first step. Yeah, we just happen to be the first generation to really get introduced to this shit. Yeah. Like, it all kind of happened when we were around that age, like, it, like early teens, like, because you had my, did you, like, did you have a MySpace account? I did. See, I never made it on MySpace. I never did that. Because that, that was what years, like... It's around that Green Day time. Yeah. Damn, you're really going for it. You're, you weren't allowed to listen to secular music, and you're on you're on MySpace and Green Day. And, and that was, But that was all like 2006. My yeah. parents had like began the process of splitting up. Yeah. So that whole like not allowed to listen to secular music thing was out the window. Yeah. Um, so like MySpace, I had one, but even then my parents would check and see what was on my profile so i couldn't promote the music i was actually listening to oh i got you it was like i had a michael w smith song but i was listening to (laughs) jesus of suburbia man yeah that was my jam that's cool yeah i um i see i didn't grow up with that kind of music at all with like the, the worship music yeah growing up in new york it's just not wasn't wasn't a huge huge thing. Like I go to church, but you'd sing out the same like old hymnos, hymnal stuff. Like we didn't we didn't have like band church where like there's a band play, which I think is a way better, way cooler way to do it. Yeah, well, I had grandparents, like I said, that were very musical. All of them were involved in the church growing up, like in the music. When you're young, that's your best place to get a start. Yeah. You have all the opportunities. They encourage that so much of people in the church bringing along other people in the church. Yeah, my grandpa was the praise and worship leader at our church uh, when I was little and, you know, growing up. And So it was the life. Like, it was, like, a big part of the family. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I did that from the time I was one, you know, to probably 11. And like that, it really just churched me out, you know, and me and my sister, I just got back from vacation with my family and her and I had this conversation about like, man, it's not that like, we don't still believe in that sort of thing, but we just got churched out by our parents. We just don't want anything to do with church anymore. Um, doesn't mean don't want anything to do with Jesus. But. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. And that's what I find like interesting about all, all of that stuff. Like I grew up Episcopalian, which is basically like being Catholic, but we don't have the Pope. It's a little less strict, um, but still just like very old school. Um, what What's the, what's the word? Um, I don't even. <laughs> um, Protestant. 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 Yeah. yeah. Um, I grew up Baptist. And it got to a point, like, at the church that my parents were attending at the time where it was just, like, a little too far. And they just took things a little bit too, you know, in the wrong direction. And it always kind of, like, left a, a lasting impression with me where I didn't, I didn't ever feel a reason to go back there or be involved in it. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. But, you know, nowadays, like... Music has become the thing that like takes up that space. You know, I have my faith, but like as far as what's going on here on earth, like this, like music's my, that's my earthly religion, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you study it just like someone would study the Bible. Yeah, like you're you're watching you're watching how different how how 
just learning different things and all that stuff. Um, so you move to town, you start doing rounds. Are you in a band first? Are you writing first? Like what? In this order of, I think that's how we initially got all the way yeah. to where we're at right now. But <laughs> how did you get started in like kind of each one? And what's the order? Like what's the newest thing you're doing? So when I first moved to town, I was just writing songs and I had a publishing deal um, with a guy named Kenny Beard who had, he wrote like Stars and Stripes for Aaron Tippin. Oh no shit, it's the, the Aaron Tippin episode. <laughs> yeah. If the world have, had a front porch for Tracy, Tracy Lawrence. Lawrence. Oh yeah. shit, classic stuff, awesome. yeah. And so I started just writing songs and he's like, you've already got a publishing deal. You don't need to go play rounds, which wasn't good advice, but that was one of the only good, like bad things that he told me. So I didn't play rounds until unfortunately, like he passed away in 2017 and I lost that publishing deal. So that's when it was kind of back to square one. And about that time I started playing guitar. Um, I, I was playing a little bit for Walker McGuire back in the day. Yeah. Um, on two, and off. Two, two great guys, by the way. Yes. And I still play for Johnny. Yeah. Um, so shortly kind of somewhere in there, they broke up and Johnny went off and did his own thing. And I hopped on with him. And so I was doing a little bit of the artist thing, playing for people. And then there came a point where I didn't, I, I wanted to get away from the artist thing for a while because I knew I needed to get a lot better. And was this artist thing under Colin Nash or was yeah. this or what? It was under Colin Nash um, up to like 2019 and then I started a band and, and put a single out with them. That was the one Montauk? Montauk, yeah. yeah. And we put that out last year. And we're still, you know, writing songs and doing stuff um, but it's kind of a little bit on the back burner right now while I'm working the solo stuff. Yeah. Um, and so like to bring it into like what I'm doing now, um, I'm playing with Ben Chapman. Yeah, which is got to be one of the most. That, that's a fun gig. Yeah, I'm super blessed. Probably doesn't do probably doesn't even buddies. feel like a gig. Like you're just jamming no. with your boys and and Megan, like the the fam. No, that that band is, and I think we would all agree, like it's it's the best band collectively we've ever played in. Um, the bass player and I live together, and we've been playing music together since we were 16. You could shout, shout out. Who are, the, who are the other guys in the yeah, band? What's so the makeup? Uh, Dalton Ray Brown. Uh, that's the bass player. Dylan Murphy's on drums. Dylan. Um, I'm playing guitar. Of course, Ben. And then uh, Meg McCree is uh, singing harmonies, playing tambourine and fiddling. And it's, um, you know, like... Ben and I have this in common. We love like Little Feet and the band Leon Russell. Um, Literally, he named off those three people in my episode with Ben and Meg that that <laughs> aired last week. Yeah, he named off those exact same. <laughs> literally, that that exact same order. Yeah, like we're that's so that's cool though. Like, did it was that hard for you at first to find somebody that enjoyed that kind of music like you guys? Like, yeah, he talks about Vinny. But Ben, like that whole, you guys all appreciate that style. Yeah. So when I first moved to town, there was none of that. Um, it was all dominated by kind of like people wanting to make it on Top 40 Radio and older writers trying to write something new for these artists. Um, but man, I wanted to play like, I wanted to play Little Feet. You know, I wanted to jam. 
Um, I wanted to go places musically that weren't on a grid mapped out. I hate, I've had to play to tracks before in other bands and I, I hate it. That's why I love playing with Ben. That's why I love playing with Ben is because there's no tracks involved. Everything's live. And I think that's something collectively all of us have been looking for for a long time. So it's relieving to finally have that thing and for it to be clicking and working. Yeah, dude, that's uh, it, it says it says a lot. I mean, I've gotten to see it and you I don't know if you're officially like in in their bands, but like you'll just hop up and play with friends too, whether it's a whiskey jam or yeah. it's uh, or it's over at the local or doing any of that stuff. Like so, Tyler, you play with? I've, I've played with Tyler. I've played with Harper. Uh, like I was saying earlier, Johnny McGuire. Um, Who else in that friend group? Like, if you sat in on like Nate's band or like any, sat in with any of those guys when I've they just needed somebody? In, I've never sat in with Nate's band. Um, and Vinny, I haven't sat in with Vinny, but like, here's the thing is like, there's five or six of us that are like musicians that are floating around playing in everybody's group, you know? Oh, so who's playing with them? So like, you know, like Dylan Murphy's playing with, with like everybody, pretty much everybody. <laughs> yeah. And my buddy Dalton's kind of playing with everybody right now. And so I'm just starting to get to the point now where it's like, I play with Ben a little bit with my buddy, Johnny. And my main focus is, like, myself, I guess. Like, I've narrowed it down. But there was a point there where I was, like, really getting around town, playing with a lot of people. I'm probably missing people that I played with and, um, you know, don't want to forget them. Sorry about that. It just gets busy. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, So how did you kind of stay afloat? You You said you went home, but what was March of 2020 like when you find out? Gig, gigs are gone like in person rights like what what was your initial take on on this mentally that that place because i remember being in that place as a guy who makes his money on the road yeah. every weekend i well in january of 2020 i got to go on my first radio tour with johnny and we went and did like the whole northeast so we did you know all of like boston new york philadelphia all of that it was a blast and then of course COVID hits and like right as COVID hit I was just about to launch the Montauk thing we put our first single out April 1st thinking like not not knowing like what COVID was going to do like we thought that there was a chance that we would still get to go play that summer so tried to launch a band and that failed you know, miserably. Who were the, who were the, who, who were the other guys in that band? It was me, uh, my buddy Dalton, Christian Gray, uh, Anthony Sadik, and Alex Sadik. Uh, and we tried to, you know, we put that first single out, Hard Goal. I love that song. You know, I still think it's great. And I would like to do some kind of maybe re-release of that at some point because the timing just was terrible. Um, but, you know, I had a whole record written for that and it just over covid kind of got shelved and put aside so like staying afloat for me covid was writing a lot of the songs that i've been releasing and putting out and um kind of getting to know everybody in the circle better i know that like last year when everything kind of opened up enough to where you know you kind of keep your circle small um i got to spend a lot of time with them writing songs and so 
that's kind of led me to what I'm doing now where I'm just like kind of putting songs out I yeah. wrote over that period. Yeah, I got you. For me, I I met I met a whole bunch of new friends during that time frame too, you know? Like yeah. it made the and it made those hangs a little bit more valuable cuz like there's something about getting like hanging out with somebody in like a house party setting as opposed to a bar cuz like a bar there's a lot more people, there's a, it's there's a lot of shit going on. Mm-hmm. You're hanging out in somebody's backyard or you're having a jam session or whatever. Um you get to really know people, which is pretty cool. Yeah, there was a lot of those outdoor situations that I think have, we're really have, good for have, people's sanity. Have, have you played the the balcony thing? There's like a house party thing I've seen Nate play. Have you played that? I have not, but it looks so Cause, cool. Cause and where if, where is it? Like I've never been, but I've been wanting to go because like it's like every couple of weeks you see Nate or somebody or just I don't know who puts it on, but they just. I think it's over somewhere in Sylvan Park. And that's, mean, I'm sure it's over there. And that's a tradition that came from COVID that has been pretty cool, and I think they're going to probably keep doing. Yeah, and and for the kind of music that we all play, like that kind of house show thing, that front yard party, that's so much fun to do. Um, I'm such a big fan of playing for like small clusters of people and doing that acoustic thing. And COVID provided a lot of uh, chances to do that later in the year last year so it's cool that like some of that is stuck around yeah yeah dude that's absolutely there's a lot of cool a lot of cool stuff so damn i just said a lot of cool stuff (laughs) (laughs) Southside cbd promo code itr 20 percent off your delta 8 thc um it works oh it 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 absolutely it absolutely (laughs) does um but um so for you, so you've been, where all of you lived in town? Because you said you started at Mount Juliet. Yeah, I've lived in Mount Juliet and Donaldson. Um, I've kind of not got out of Donaldson the last three it's a great years. great area. Yeah, it's it, super low key. Super convenient. The airport's right there. Yep. Great taco trucks. So I, I lived in this really crappy apartment complex for a couple of years there that was right next to the airport like you had like our apartment complex the interstate and then there's the airfield oh that's brutal so there was just planes flying over the whole day every day um that was kind of nice in covid though because that stopped there for a little bit and that that was very surreal it was like right before that i went home when they started like shutting all the flights you were like oh shit this is serious yeah like it's way too quiet out here um, now I live, uh, right in between, uh, Madison and Donaldson, this little area called music Valley. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's right across from Opryland. Yeah. That's, that's a great area too. Mm-hmm. I enjoy, I enjoy it out there and the bars that are out there, like the palace and, um, yes. scoreboards literally and like, right across the interstates. The yeah, same exit. Yeah. Those, those bars are what I would consider. I mean, I'm sure enough people know about them, but when you come to town and you're visiting, you think about Broadway and Midtown and all these places. Scoreboards is really cool. The yes. palace is really cool. If you if you want to experience something a little different, go go over there. It's a nice like change of pace. I love the palace. It's cool, man. It's got got some grit to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I've had a couple of rounds there where it's been like, there's eight people here, you know. Yeah. But when that place is hopping, I mean, it's a blast. There's an energy. It makes you kind of kind of. Uh, Kind of brings you back a little bit to the uh, what it must have been like back in the day. Yeah, when, like, Randy Travis was like busboy in there, and like 
that, that place was hopping. Mm-hmm. That was the the spot. Uh, where in town do you like hanging out? If, if somebody were to want to bump into Colin Nash on a on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night, where where are you going to be? Probably somewhere right next to you. You know, like <laughs> we're kind of hanging around the same spots. You know, it's like Midtown Red on, Door. Yeah, Midtown Red Door. Um, I would say I spend most of my recreational time in. Uh, like West Nashville, like Sylvan Park, uh, the Nations. Are there are there cool bars out there? Yeah, um, I haven't really been out to the Nations. So the Nations has the Centennial, which is I love to go there. They have it, they've got really good wings. Um, and then neighbors Sylvan Park, that's kind of the hang for all of us. Um, there's been a couple of us that have worked there. You know? Oh no shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and also like I play a lot of golf. So having neighbors right there, you know, is right next to McCabe. So you'll go play 18 in the morning, go have a couple of drinks at neighbors, go play another nine. You know, I've done that a ton. Whoa. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, you play golf too, don't you? I do. I haven't been out in so long. So I was on the golf team in high school, but um, I, was, I wasn't good enough for – I was good enough to make the team, but I wasn't good enough for my score to count. So I'd be, I'd be like the alternate. And I'd I'd have my score count like once or twice to like like they would have me do it to get the varsity letter. But I was mostly just kind of chilling. I was just playing free golf at all these nice ass New York golf courses on taxpayer money. I was like, this is this is great. That's awesome. Four four days a week, I did that for like two years um, and whatever. But I am I I was the best I've ever shot was like in I think in eighty eight was the best round I've ever shot. Um, but that was a while. That was actually that was last year. But when you're doing it a lot, you get into a groove. I've only gone out once this year, and I had a, it was a rough. It was a yeah. rough day. Yeah, I have not been playing great golf this year. Do you, play, do you play disc golf? I don't play disc golf. Have you tried it? I haven't tried it, but I've never been great at throwing a frisbee. Neither have I, and I've gotten so much better. Really? And the vibe of disc golf's great because. It's uh, all you gotta do is buy the disc and it's free to play. Yeah. And it's usually people walking around with some some Delta Eight and uh, the speaker, and they're just listening to music. People bring like little people bring their dogs. Like, yeah, it's it's very chill. I'm just grooving. That's what I love about golf. You know, I'm the same way. It's like, you know, you get you some drinks. I'm a big fan of knocking the dew down at like seven in the morning. You oh, know, no shit. Yeah, getting out there with some drinks and like. Um, getting at it early because you know like if you play at any of the public courses around here it is packed out by 8 30 so if you get out there at seven a lot of times you're starting your back nine when everybody's going off the front yeah and then you're in a good spot then you're in a good spot you can get your golf in for the day and you got the whole day i'm a big fan of doing that how often do you play uh right now about once a week but there was a point during COVID where I was playing like four or five times a week. Holy shit. Yeah. It was, it was wild there for a bit. Like April and May, I went and lived with my buddy Christian, um, down in, uh, Valley, Alabama. And there's this little bitty golf course, a little nine hole course down there in Roanoke. And him and I were there every single day spending our stimulus checks. You know, <laughs> like just getting candy bars and playing 36 holes. Um, Jeez, you walking or riding? 
riding there. I was going to say, you can't, I was going to say 36 holes walking. That's brutal. Yeah. Now we were riding there. I'm usually walking, uh, because I caddy out at Bellmead, um, still from time to time. And, uh, when we play out there on Mondays, there's no carts. You have yeah. to walk. And it's a lot cheaper to walk the public courses, and they're not bad. So yeah. I mostly walk. Yeah. Who's the best golfer of you, Vinny or Nate? Nate. Nate? I think that everybody at this point, like if you don't know that Nate is probably the best golfer of all the musicians here in Nashville, like. I want I, I want to watch. Um, I want to do like just. I don't. I, wish, I, I guess I'd just play with him. I'd, I'd slow him down tremendously. Yeah. But um, I I want to see how good he is. Like, because just knowing Nate, like I've seen Wild Party Nate. I've seen like Serious Songwriter Nate. I've seen like Spacey Theoretical Nate. I've yep. never seen Golfer Nate, but it just sounds sounds incredible. Well, what's great about Golfer Nate is you get to watch him just kind of completely settle into something. You know, I I think that. Nate's a guy that lives up here a lot. Like he's constantly got wheels turning. That's what what makes him such a great artist and songwriter. Uh, but when he's playing golf, man, he's so laid back and relaxed. Like it, it is the most effortless golf I've ever seen. Really? Yeah. He just it, it's completely effortless the way that he plays. And he'll go out there and shoot like a sixty-seven or a sixty-eight, and it'll look like he's not trying. <laughs> there, there was a time. That's that's insane. There was a time when he was playing on Mondays out at Bellmead still. This has been probably almost three years ago now. And he had his golf clubs stolen out of the back of his car. And so there for a while he didn't have clubs. And he had found some or pieced together some set. And, I mean, it was just it was not a very good set. And he went out there and just dusted all of us. Like it wasn't close. And it looked like he, you know, hadn't missed a step. He's so, very impressive. So we got to find like we got to start. I might we might have to do this, and you can plan it. I'll, I'll plan it too. We'll have to figure out like an in the round golf event, an in the round yes. golf tournament, and we'll see. Well, I, I would want to see how Nate can go. Just get all get all you guys involved. Like I think a great idea was just born. Yo, could you imagine an in the round golf event? Well, Vinny and I have been talking about how cool it would be to do a golf podcast. Yeah, in the round. I mean, it's just kind of like yeah. another branch of it. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In the golf round. Yeah. If you need another host or a co-host, yeah, you hit yeah. me up. No, we can for talk sure. Golf all day. For sure, and to go and to go out and do the, um, if we were to do like a golf thing, because I like like the Muscadon guys, like Charlie plays. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of like who else who else have gone out and play. Oh, the um, there's a ton of people that play actually. Yeah, yeah there's a lot of guys that play. I, I feel like I just I want to see how Nate like if if Nate everyone's gonna be like who the fuck is like what like holy shit and yeah. Nate's just gonna be out there like Bagram Hanson just it, <laughs> chill it's unbelievable I, the three of us need to go play because um hey like you and I need to go play yeah. but I it's been probably a year and a half since I've seen Nate play and I, I just really want to watch him. it yeah it's uh it's pretty filthy you know Vinny's a pretty good golfer too. And he kind of always, you know, he's real low key about it. But Vinny, Vinny can swing it a little bit. So watch it. So yeah, well maybe I'll I'll just go out and get complete. I mean, I'm not even going to be competitive. I'll just go out there, bring the cigars and chill. And <laughs> hell, I might even stop playing after a certain number and just watch watch you. Might you might be watch competitive you guys do. with me right now, man. Um, 
I'm I'm telling you, I've not played good golf this year. What's what's bad golf to you? Bad golf to me is probably still pretty good golf to some people. Like right now, I'm shooting like 86, 87 consistently, and that's the worst that I've played see, in like see, two years. That's the best. I, that's the best I'll probably ever get. And that was back <laughs> when I was golfing all the time last year. Yeah, it's man. Like, it's I'm, like I'm, I'm, I'm. If I go under a hundred, great day. I what happens is is if you get to a point in your life where you can play a lot of golf and those scores start getting really low, you start thinking that that's just like what you're capable of, flatline. Like that's baseline what you're capable of. So anything worse than that feels like a failure. And there was a point like right before COVID and during COVID where I was going out and shooting 76, like pretty much – Every time out, like I might sneak a seventy nine or an eighty in there. But what I was what, really what, what well. tees are you playing for? Are you playing for the tips? Blues, blues are the tips. Jeez, so you're actually play, you're playing. See, I'm I'm sometimes I'm just out there smoking a cigar, hitting from the whites, having a good time. Whenever I go home to Missouri and play golf with those guys, they play from the whites pretty much all the time. So I'll tee it up from there. And then you probably shoot ridiculous scores. Well, you'd think that, but, <laughs> like, it's funny. Um, I shoot pretty much the same score playing from the whites as I do from the tips. And I think it's because I've been, like, had it in my head that I want to score low. And so I don't necessarily, like, try to throw it in there right on the hole. Like, I've always kind of had that, like, Tiger's always talked about, on your approach shots, try and hit the fat side of the green. So that's where my brain is. So I'm always, I've always got like a 15 or 20 footer at, at least for birdie a lot of times. And then you just lag putt it and get the pars. Get the pars. I'm a par making machine. <laughs> <laughs> that's freaking awesome. Hell yeah, dude. Yeah, that's, uh, that's sick. Um, so talking about the new music, man, what have we, what have we got cooking? Tell the people. Yeah. So the world of Colin Nash, the artist. I just put out, Save the saving it for a rainy day thing. And I'm really proud of that project because, you know, like if you listen to those songs, they're all the first take, one take the whole way through. The last song is the second take. And that's intentional. You know, we wanted to capture something that was just like so bare bones and close to the ground. Cause I hadn't been putting out music, I hadn't put out music for probably two or three years. So this kind of like reintroduction into being an artist, I wanted to start from the ground. Like this is the most basic thing. This is the most me I could do. So I put that out, and I'm really excited about it. And I'm getting ready to go in with Matt Nolan here in um, in December, the first week of December, and we're starting my first full-length record. Hell yeah. Yeah. Fuck yeah. So I'm kind of writing for that, preparing for it, um, at the moment and playing this little EP around. Hell yeah, man. That's freaking awesome, dude. Um, favorite food spots in town real quick. Oh gosh, dude. Um, I really like DeSano's pizza. Okay. Um, uh, Habanero grill in, uh, Donaldson. Give them a shout out. They're fantastic. Have you been there yet? I have not. Yeah. Habanero grill. It's nuts. And uh, Las Palmas. Which one? The one in Midtown. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of... Uh, 
when when we're all going out to eat, it's like either Las Palmas or Chewies. We end up at Chewies a lot. I'm not a huge Chewies guy. Yeah, it's, it's very hit or miss with a lot of people. Yeah. I love it. I think that that jalapeno ranch is nuts. <laughs> it is pretty cool. I love that. It is pretty cool. What about yours? Mine, um, I like the, uh, as far as weed at uh, Cinco here in Hermitage a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like a, a staple for the front group. So thus I've been, I've been over there eating a lot more. Um, the, uh, I like party foul a lot. I haven't had it in a minute, but I like party foul. Like party foul is probably my favorite hot chicken place. Really? Yeah. What, what is it about party? The sandwich, the sandwiches. sandwiches. They have, they, they have a hot chicken Cuban. It's It's like a Cuban. Yeah. It's, it's, it's on the, on the Cuban, like the Cuban, uh, bread. And it's got like the pick, like the way it's just put the cheese. I don't even know how to describe it but yeah it's it's good it's good um and third shit i don't even oh um for doing pizza probably sal's here in uh, hermitage and i hear sal's is the best yeah there's one near um one near uh ryan nelson too they have a sat i think there's a sal's probably different owners it's one in lower antioch because ryan nelson calls it the other 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 la and there's one here (laughs) which by the way how did you meet ryan nelson this is a question i've asked the last like Three or four podcasts. I ask, how do you... So when did you first meet Ryan Nelson? I met Ryan back in the alley at Revival. I think like three (laughs) years ago, dude. Just He's such a... uh, He's everywhere. It's like, I feel like I've went to a one bar on one side of town and Ryan Nelson was there, left, and intentionally went on the other side of town and Ryan Nelson was at that bar too. It's like there's like a dozen Ryan Nelsons. <laughs> That's my theory. It's just like Ryan Nelson's everywhere. It's it's not an individual. It's it's a state of mind. It's like, yeah. it's, it's a people. <laughs> <laughs> I love Ryan. I've never met somebody who just brings the party with them everywhere they go like he walks into a room and the whole room's kind of lit up and there's a different energy and you know uh like i've heard you talk on the podcast before about his house we used to have band rehearsals there with uh grady and grady lived there um who who were you playing with with ben chapman oh no shit yeah we, we had ben rehearsals there um and like do you remember like all the clouds and stuff painted Bro, on the walls. Yeah, the freaking mural. Yeah. Dude's got a mural in his house. And then you walk down in perfect fashion. I mean, it sounds like he's, he's back in there now. And, like, the, the hopefully we will get a Ryan Nelson fire show before too long. Um, but where there's, like, the fire pit. And then you go down. There's the little stairway. Mm-hmm. It's like you're in another world. I mean, granted, I mean, it's just a, the little, a little brook or something. Underneath an un, underneath an overpass in Antioch, it ain't the most luxurious thing. <laughs> but when you're uh, when you're hanging out there at, at night and at the fire and stuff, man. Yeah, the, the lower Antioch Creek is something else, bro. It's a. It I'm, might as well be the Riverwalk in, in <laughs> San Antonio. <laughs> oh man, I'm Run. just trying to think of all the part, like all the wild shit we've done over there. I don't I don't remember half the stuff I've done over at Ryan Nelson's house, you know? Yeah. Um and he and he's a great dude, super talented. He was my first whiskey jam that I ever went to. Really? It was the night that Show Up Drunk came out. I was visiting. I hadn't even moved here yet. 
That I remember that night. That it was, was right after night. he cut his hair. Mm-hmm. He looked like um, I. I remember thinking like this guy looks like Joaquin Phoenix playing Johnny Cash and Walk the Line with his blazer on. He, and he his is haircut. a very good looking guy. He's nobody. He's nobody. Just, no, but it just how animated he is. Yeah. You know, like just the way he was performing. Like he was just in the party. Like you mm-hmm. want to see a, a high energy show? Go to go to a Ryan Nelson whiskey jam inside of Winners. For me, the Ryan Nelson one. Obviously, love to see him on the big stage, but there's just something about when he when he's up there rocking. Yeah, he's one of the best. Fucking Dobro Chris. Yeah, Dobro Chris. That's that's a whole another podcast right there to talk about that wild that wild dude. Yeah, that whole that whole circle that Ryan kind of has around him that is a, just a wild crew. James yeah, Kelly, incredibly talented, all of them. Yeah, they are. Um, I tell you, it broke my heart when that. When the flood thing happens, yeah. um, I really hated that for them. But it seems like they've bounced back from it. Like, we all knew they would. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Um, well, bro, this has been a lot of fun. We've actually gone over time a little bit. But um, what? Yeah, um, I, fi- I figure we would. Yeah, yeah, dude. Uh, I figured it was going to be one of those days. But um, where do people go to find you? Um, Spotify and Instagram, uh, Apple Music. Just uh, look up Colin Nash, Colin with two L's. You, are, you a, are you a Twitter guy? Yeah, I'm on Twitter. I've got some cool things to say every once in a long while. You know, <laughs> um, it, the handle for all that is at it's Colin Nash. Yeah, it's yeah. Colin Nash. It's Colin Nash. Hell yeah, yeah. man! And uh, Talk about the EP again real quick. It was um, Super super Bare Bones. Um, yeah, Super Bare Bones recorded it in one afternoon at my Uncle Michael's house back in Missouri. Um, I was, it was, we recorded it in March. I had septum surgery, so I was spending some time back there recovering. And we recorded this while I was recovering. Oh, wow. Yeah, and it was just a really special evening of recording. I remember, like, us setting the mic up and we did tie me to a stone first and like it was just it was perfect it was right there like we had it on the first take and then we did five more like why that. why why the title save it for a rainy day because it was pouring down rain while we were recording it so if you like listen to that record with good headphones you can hear thunder and rain in the background it's it's a very live sounding record so we were just saving <laughs> it for a rainy day. That's sick. That's so cool, man. You, you, you cool playing us a song off that, man? Absolutely, dude. Hell yeah. Uh, well, while Colin goes and grabs the guitar, make sure you guys support our man Colin Nash. Uh, the new EP, Save It For A Rainy Day. It's out. It's raw. It's awesome. It's stripped down. If you like uh, like country damn music, uh, make sure you check it out. Uh, make sure you follow him on all the socials as well. Also, I give a shout out to the sponsors, uh, Whale Tail Media, uh, Saxman Studios, Trailside CBD. Use promo code ITR, 20% off your green products. You can have a good time like we had on this podcast. Uh, and, uh, of course, remember to leave a five-star review, five stars only, baby. And um, tell your friends about it. Come out and check out a writer's round, um, the writer's rounds that we do uh, over at Live Oak. You might even see Colin Nash himself up there playing and jamming. But now, without further ado, going to give it up for my dude, Mr. Colin Nash. Y'all have been listening to the In The Round podcast.
time gets wasted things are changing and you're not sure which way to run to it's what you make it so don't get jaded just search that sky for that bit of blue it makes time for reminiscing sure the world needs fixing but if you just stop and listen to the ground my friend good things are coming to worry there's no hurry cause it all happens how it's supposed to years get blurry some leave early so always hold the ones you're close to mm. Time for reminiscing. Show the world needs fixing. But if you just stop and listen to the ground, my friend, good things are coming. Yeah, good things are coming.